Hello everyone, Krista and Hannah here with a brief message before we start the episode. We are on the third season of Keys to Music Learning and we have loved every second. Talking about audiation-based piano instruction is a passion of ours, if you couldn't tell, and we thank you for listening and keeping us going. We recently launched the Keys to Music Learning community. Similar to Patreon, this is a way to support the podcast and access bonuses, such as opportunities to attend podcast recordings and monthly meetings so you can pick our brains with your questions, share your successes, and connect with other teachers. Become a silent partner for only $3 a month or, to access the bonuses, a friend of the podcast for $5 a month. Join today at musiclearningacademy.com slash keys to music learning community. The link will be in our show notes. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Keys to Music Learning. I'm Hannah Mayo of Hannah Mayo Music. And I'm Krista Yadro of Music Learning Academy. Join us as we discuss common goals and challenges in the piano studio and offer research based ideas and solutions to guide every one of your students to reach their full musical potential with audiation. Have you ever wondered why your student just wasn't getting something? Perhaps they're having a really hard time reading music, keeping a steady beat, or playing a specific rhythm. Chances are you can find your answer in sequencing. In this episode, Hannah is going to share a few stories from her studio that highlight the importance of knowing and utilizing Gordon's learning sequence and how sequencing helps when choosing piano repertoire to support success and alleviate frustration. Hello, all. Welcome back. We are delighted you're here. Uh, I would like to read you a quote that describes how I feel about music learning theory and then use this quote as a jumping off point for today's episode. In the dedication of his book, The Literate Musician, Andy Mullen, a well-known and highly regarded MLT practitioner, puts perfectly into words how so many music teachers feel about Dr. Gordon and what he's done for music learning and for music educators all over the world. He writes, quote, not a day nor a period goes by where I do not feel Dr. Gordon's spirit subtly guiding my decisions. His writing, research, and teaching have given my previously very entertaining, but not quite heading anywhere specific classroom techniques and lessons, a direction, a laser-like focus. I'm sure I speak for many music educators when I say that Dr. Gordon brought a precision to music education, the results of which the profession at large still has not fully come to terms with. But with time, As more and more teachers learn about music learning theory, and more importantly, see the results of good teaching that MLT inevitably produces, the music education profession and the future of musical understanding in the world will be forever in his debt. End quote. Oh, it gives me chills, Krista. (laughs) Me too. And you know what? Andy has some great resources to support audiation development. So I'll make sure to add his website and his YouTube channel to the show notes. Yes. Great. Excellent. 
the part about uh, guiding my decisions, that's the learning sequence. It's a path that we as teachers can take to help better guide our students to very real musical understanding. Today's episode is called, Why Can't They Do It? In the first five-ish years of teaching piano, I asked this question so many times. And sometimes I just could not wrap my head around why a student couldn't do something that seemed, at least to me, to be pretty doable and even easy. And there were quite a few times that I asked this of myself, too. Why can't I do it? I labored in music school to memorize my repertoire, and I think it's because the piano lessons I received growing up didn't follow the natural sequence of music learning, and I wasn't engaging in audiation development in an appropriate sequence. And it was all notation-based from the start. And as I know now, that stifles audiation. Mm -hmm, Yeah, and we're going to talk more about this in depth next week, how developing audiation skills really are a vital foundation for reading and writing music. Exactly. And now, in discovering MLT and everything, and there is a lot, everything (laughs) pertaining to it, I have a better understanding of what was holding me back. It was a lack of audiation skills. And you know that saying, uh, timing is everything? Mm -hmm. Sequencing, yeah, sequencing, our topic today is often all about the timing. Like, when is it time to just listen and absorb musical sounds? When is it time to echo patterns? Maybe for your student echoing a teacher or a child echoing a parent. When is it time to improvise or create? When is it time to read and write? That's really what Gordon's learning sequence is all about. And in that previous quote, when Andy talks about his uh, very entertaining, but not quite heading anywhere specific classroom techniques and lessons, oh man, that hits so close to home. That was my teaching style once upon a time. I had all the music theory games. My students were having fun. They were having a lot of fun. They loved their lessons, but they didn't seem to be making the kind of progress that I I thought they should. And many of them never wanted to practice. And I wondered, how can these students love their lessons and love me so much, but never want to practice? As it turns out, MLT has given me quite a few insights about why students do and do not practice, but that's a conversation for another time. Yes. (laughs) My teaching style now still has all of that spirit of fun, and we still play lots of games, but now my games are all based on audiation activities. And that, combined with some of the most powerful research-based sequencing, not to mention having this incredible piano method, Music Moves for Piano, to help facilitate audiation development in piano lessons. Yeah, and your lessons are so much fun, Hannah. I love the clip that you showed at one of your webinars. The student, no lie, had a smile on his face the entire time as he was learning to play a specific skill. I think he was learning the tonic, dominant, tonic, melodic cadence, and he was improvising with this progression. He was just so confident and happy with what he was doing, and the instruction that led him there to that moment really supported that success. Well, first off, thank you. (laughs) Yes, I do remember that. Um, He is one of my before and after students, meaning I had him before MLT and after, 
And he has really wonderful lessons. He's always so excited about developing his musicianship skills. Uh, think about thinking about that reminds me how much I love teaching piano. And uh, speaking of before MLT and after MLT, one of my biggest lessons in MLT is that there are basically two times in a person's learning life. And you can think of them as informal learning and formal learning. And they are not always linear. Most of the time, they are not linear. They are spiral pathways. And they circle back and forth constantly throughout our musical lives with um, new skills and new music. New genres such as new, jazz. New genres such as <laughs> right? jazz. Excellent. Yeah, new genres for us, I should say. Right, for us. <laughs> I am very much in informal learning with uh with jazz. Right, that's a great way to put it. Like we're yep. we're in a very formal place with perhaps our classical repertoire, but more of an informal place with our jazz. Yeah, absolutely. So certain things need to happen during informal guidance to provide the readiness for formal instruction in music, but also in anything really. The sequencing we are referring to here, very broadly speaking, addresses one, the things that need to happen informally that will act as readiness for future stages of learning and for formal instruction. Two, once we get to what Gordon calls formal instruction, we then need to know what has to happen in order to continue to develop audiation and musical understanding. And we need a specific ordering of activities to accomplish that. I didn't realize how much I needed that until I had it. An order that will foster student success and avoid frustration. And that's really a key component to foster student success and avoid frustration or embarrassment. And three, we need to be able to choose appropriate repertoire and other playing activities that coordinate with the learning sequence and where a student is in their audiation development. Students need to use their skills vocally and at the piano. So Marilyn Lowe has this great thing she always says, they learn it and then they use it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is the laser-like focus that Andy spoke of in his quote. That laser-like focus is the learning sequence. Dr. Gordon's research is so extensive and his learning sequence is so detailed and precise. He's thought of almost everything and what he hasn't thought of, he gave room for others to expand on his work. And the great thing about MLT is that it is a theory and it can be developed and adapted for whatever the music teaching scenario might be. Yeah, and this is really a great intro to what I'll be talking about next week with an overview of the sequence. And I'll reiterate what Hannah just said, that music learning theory is a theory, and then we put it into practice. Yes, and let's talk about that practice a bit. I bet at some point we've all had a student playing a recital solo with no problems at all until that one measure. And once they get through the measure, if they get through it, everything is fine again. Why? In all likelihood, that measure contains something that isn't in one's audiation. When a student can't play something, the first question that I ask is, can they audiate it? Can they sing it? Can they identify, perform, and improvise with the rhythm and tonal patterns? 
Usually in a problematic measure or passage of music, the answer is no or not yet. There may be some physical technique or coordination issues at play as well, but what I've learned is that it's usually a matter of not being able to audiate. Or it might be that whatever items in that problematic measure is still very fresh and new to one's audiation. Let's take one of my favorite intermediate sonatinas as an example. This piece is the Benda Sonatina in A minor. You might know this one. You might have taught it. You know that one? Mm-hmm. I love teaching this piece and playing it. I've taught this piece before MLT and after, and I have some insights that you might find helpful. Yes, please share. (laughs) The first time I attempted to guide a student through learning this piece using MLT principles and audiation, my student had one of those little problem measures. She could do the big tonic and dominant arpeggios with no problem and everything would be fine until this one measure near the cadence. So I looked more closely and examined what was going on in that measure. And there was a subdominant harmony. Now, she had only barely started subdominant patterns. She was still in the echoing patterns phase and had just started adding the subdominant to the melodic cadences. And the subdominant patterns were not yet fixed in her audiation. And I said, aha, I think I know what the problem is. And before MLT, I might have just had her drill the measure over and over or use some other common practice strategies like impulse practice. We would have sung different voices, perhaps, but that's about as deep as we would go with anything vocally. And after MLT, since I knew what the problem really was, not that it was just a tricky measure, but specifically the subdominant chord, I knew how to proceed to set that student up for more success. So what did we do? I guided her through some acculturation of one, four, five, tonic, subdominant, dominant. We identified and sang the tonal syllables of each chord. Over a few weeks, I sang patterns and she labeled them tonic, subdominant, and dominant. And I would just like to add a little side note about the labeling step. It really makes students listen in a Mm -hmm. very different kind of way, which I just love it. And we did all of this in a playful way over many weeks. It was not painful, like maybe drilling a measure over and over would be. And eventually she got it. And I bet you were both so happy that you stuck with it. It's important to remember that you don't have to abandon repertoire just because you aren't there in the learning sequence. We can use those opportunities to really help move the students forward, but we also have the knowledge, because of sequencing, to be ready for problems that might come up with a particular piece, and we know how to go about supporting the student to be successful. Yes, and I'd say maybe even more importantly, I had the knowledge I needed to know that it was okay, that she wasn't getting it right away. I knew it wasn't firm in her audiation at first, and that kept me from getting frustrated. And it gave me the patience that I needed as well as a process to follow to get to the solution. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Now let's think about all those students out there who have struggled to properly 
and musically execute the half note quarter note rhythm in three, four time. <laughs> this is helpful for, <laughs> helpful for teachers who get frustrated when their students are unable to play something, even after you've tried every practice strategy you can think of. And maybe you're like me before my MLT days. And there would come a point sometimes where you would secretly or um, maybe not so secretly, I would secretly just blame the student for not practicing enough or not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. And turns out <laughs> knowledge is power. The half note quarter note combo in three, four is considered an elongation rhythm pattern. Now MLT categorizes rhythm patterns in these groups and they're a way to organize many different rhythm patterns in our musical minds, in our audiation. We have the macrobeat, microbeat group, divisions, division elongations, elongations, rests, ties, and upbeats, and all of these happen in a variety of meters. So if a student hasn't gotten to that category of rhythm patterns in their learning sequence, and if they have not listened to, chanted, or improvised with elongation patterns, it would be no wonder they can't execute that particular rhythm. Not to mention... If the student didn't have at least some informal guidance in triple meter and particularly triple meter elongation patterns through songs and chants, that rhythm pattern might be more foreign to them than we even realize. And this whole concept can be applied to any rhythm issue. Before MLT, I would likely address this problem and many rhythm problems with counting or clapping. And sometimes that worked and many times it did not. Or it would be fine in the lesson, but the student wasn't able to retain the rhythm and they would just come to their lessons with the same issue every week. Great points, Hannah. So what can we do about it? Well, you can sing songs and perform chants that use triple meter elongation patterns. You can sing and play other music that uses triple meter elongations. You can move to triple meter and feel the big beats and the little beats. We call those the macro beats and the micro beats. You can sing the melody while moving to those beats to hear how it fits in. You can give triple elongation rhythm patterns to your students to echo, then perform one pattern on one key of the piano or create with a pattern using random keys. And I'll bet they can execute that rhythm pattern after a few weeks of those types of activities. Not only accurately, but musically too. (laughs) And uh, now, for as lovely as that story is, (laughs) this is a little bit sad. Uh, I have a sad story. I taught this student a long time ago before MLT. And it breaks me a little bit when I think about him because he had an amazing ear. He taught himself all these popular songs and he was such a creative kid, very artistic. He would have been absolutely incredible if he had the kind of lessons that I give now. We had fun with the theory games and whenever I was helping him learn the more difficult pop songs by rote, that was always fine. But we also had much frustration between us because I was also trying to get him to read notation. And the way I was doing that was by decoding intervals and with counting and he never succeeded. And it was my fault, not his. And now I know that. 
And had I known what I know now, I could have followed the sequence with him and that kid would have stuck with it, I bet, and would have eventually learned to read. And I think many of us can identify with that. But you know what? It is sad, yes, but also the foundation for becoming a better teacher. Yes, that is true. Silver lining. (laughs) Because of MLT, I have developed a greater sense of confidence and I have this sequence where I can help guide students to reading and writing notation. And that's been a real highlight, learning that lesson. And I can also look at piano repertoire with a specific student in mind, knowing where they are in the learning sequence. And I can say, yes, this piece will work for that student or no, this piece will surely not work for the student just yet. And we talked about this kind of thing in pedagogy courses all the time, but never to this laser-like extent that Andy spoke of in his quote. So one more example before we wrap up this episode. Here's a true favorite, the Minuet in G. You know the one. You know it. Absolutely. (laughs) Being able to look at the minuet G and knowing that a student needs to be one proficient in major tonic and dominant patterns when G is do and they need proficiency in triple meter division rhythm patterns. They also need to have experience in coordinating a melody with a baseline. And ideally they need to be at a point where they are playing comfortably with all five fingers with good Mm -hmm. technique. And all of these things I just mentioned, by the way, are sequenced beautifully in the Music Moves for Piano Method by Marilyn Lowe. And then with all that knowledge and information in my brain, I can then say to myself, okay, I have an older transfer student who has completed Music Moves book one and has gotten pretty well into book two and is very comfortable playing the G major melodic cadence with nice technique. He's doing great with triple meter division rhythm patterns. And after about a year and a half of singing major tonic and dominant patterns and doing all sorts of learning sequence activities with those patterns, he can now sing them in tune, which he could not do at first. And he understands the major tonal syllables for tonic and dominant and how to apply them to learning music. Okay, he can probably play this piece, the Minuet in G. Let's try it and see what happens. And let me tell you, this happened last week. (laughs) This actually happened last week. That's awesome. And by the end of his lesson, he could play the right-hand melody of the first page from memory without notation. He moved to the big beats and the little beats while I played for him. He echoed, performed, and improvised with rhythm and tonal patterns. And he picked it up so quickly because he had a vocabulary of patterns already established in his audiation. I just spoke to him using this language of rhythm and tonal patterns, and he got it because this is just how we speak to each other in piano lessons now. It's how we music to each other, I should say. And this is the power of sequencing. I didn't want to go on to the second page until the following lesson because I knew it would be too much to retain in his audiation, but he was too excited and he begged me to keep going. So we did, and he won't be able to remember that second page, but at his lesson today, I bet you he will. (laughs) 
And look, this doesn't always work out perfectly. Sometimes you get a surprise challenge in a piece of repertoire and you realize, oh, this student does not yet have the readiness for this surprise challenge. And that's actually kind of amazing too, because then you have the tools and the understanding to say to yourself, hey, you didn't see that coming. It's okay. The student isn't quite ready for that yet and they might not be able to do it right away, but I have many tools to help. And that makes me think of something that I had not even considered before now. I'm so much calmer in my teaching now. Knowing Edwin Gordon's learning sequence calms me. It really does. I know what my students are capable of. I know how to plan their lessons according to where they are in their audiation skill development. And I have this phenomenal piano method keeping me on track with the sequence that Gordon has laid out for that musical understanding that we want so badly for our students. Oh, yes, that's so well said, Hannah. And I really look forward to giving this overview next week of the sequence. And we will be diving in even more specifically in future episodes. And before we go, I just want to mention that I'm covering these topics more in depth on our Facebook group. So if you're not a member of it yet, please join us. It's called Introduction to Audiation-Based Piano Instruction and Music Moves for Piano. Yes, that's a mouthful. But we will be sure to add the link to our show notes on the podcast website, musiclearningacademy.com slash keys to music learning. We hope to see you there. It's a really great place for discussions and questions. It is a mouthful, but it says what it is. And it's very precise, just like the learning sequence. We look forward to seeing you next week as Krista gives an overview of the music learning theory sequence. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon.